Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast brought to you by Mountaintop Data. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Nick Amabile. Amabile. Oh, I should have checked with you before. <laughs> Nick, can you <laughs> help me with that? Amabile. Amabile. Okay. Yeah. Nick Amabile of DOS42 uh, about whether you should really be making database decisions or not. Uh, as I said, Nick, he's the CEO of DOS42. That's a data analytics consulting company. And uh, thanks for coming on today, Nick. Hey, Sky. How are you? Good to see you. So first thing that jumps out at me as I'm I'm looking at the topic here as I'm reading off the topic from my cheat sheet. Um, whether you should really be making database decisions. I wish there was another word for that because the word data and base are so close together. I feel like it's we're going to be doing some sort of techno geek version of who's on first. <laughs> Somebody's got to come up with another word for that. It's too, it sounds like database decisions. It, it does. Yeah. No, we, we, we like to, we like to say data driven decisions sometimes, but that's a little buzzwordy, you know what I mean? But, but database decisions, I, I get what you're saying. No data driven decisions. There it is. We're going to change everybody's uh, I will, <laughs> I'll, I'll bleep out anytime I say data based decisions. There you go in this episode now, and we'll, we'll uh, write over it with data-driven decisions. Let me write that down real quick. Okay, so starting over, uh, we're going to be talking to him about whether you should really be making data-driven decisions or not. I guess right off the bat, should you be making data-driven decisions? Absolutely. I, I definitely think so. I mean, that's uh, I'm on a mission to help companies uh, make data-driven decisions. I think you know, a lot of times what we see, though, is that folks don't trust the data and they end up arguing over whose data is right. Uh, and and they don't they're not able to actually talk about what should we do about the data. So that's really the, the issue uh, that we see in companies. And that's really what we help people solve at DOS 42. So, yeah, I mean, coming into this, I didn't know if you were going to say yes or no. Um, talk about prep for the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't know. Looking at the question, I felt like this guy's going to say that we shouldn't be doing it. And I like that's I'm sure there's a compelling argument there. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'd say for some companies, maybe they shouldn't because they just don't have enough data. Like everybody's yeah, I mean, telling you, you have to do this, but if you don't have the data to make it on, then you kind of got to go off your instinct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's, you know, I like to say that there are things that computers are good at and there are things that, that humans are good at, right? So humans are great at synthesizing information, understanding context, uh, understanding kind of a vision and broader goals you know, computers are good at crunching numbers, right? So we absolutely need to have humans involved in the equation here. We absolutely need to have context and sort of instincts and, and gut driven decisions as well. But what I kind of view is like, you know, data is context. Data is sort of, um, you know, uh, helps you understand the context of what's going on. So it's not that, you know, hey, the numbers are up today, so let's do X, Y, Z. And I think a, a lot of people get caught up in that fact of, of um, actionable data, right? Is data actionable? Well, there's a lot of parts of data that are just context. And so if you're over time understanding a trend in your business using data, that helps develop your gut and hone your instincts so that you're able to make decisions quickly uh, based on data and, and also your gut at the same time. It's, it's, a, it's a yes and. <laughs> right. So you're honing your instincts with data and hopefully That's that right. you get yourself calibrated so you can make good decisions when you don't right. have new data or the data for that specific situation, right. but it's still based on data Absolutely. if you're doing a good job. Otherwise, you're going to yes. be getting things wrong, and that'll be pretty obvious that you based it on well, something and, nothing. And, and the other piece too is like you want to be able to you know tweak something or change something, and then measure the impact or the results or the change in a trend, right? So if you're unfamiliar 
with a trend or, you know, like, you know, the weather in December here in New York is typically, let's say in the thirties, but today it's 60 degrees out here. Right. So it's sort of like, okay, that's an anomaly. I know in December, it's typically the average temperature is between 30 and 40 degrees, 60 degrees is outside of the, you know, historical average. So this, this is, this is, uh, you know, a different, uh, trend than normal. Right. Uh, so that makes me think as a, as an analogy, using the weather, if you have somebody who's following the data, but um, using the weather in the time of year, but they're the life cycle they have to collect data to act on is let's say um, spring through summer, right? Then fall and winter hit, and they're making decisions on the summer and spring data, like if this, then this. Yep. I mean, they're gonna die. <laughs> they're gonna yeah gonna walk outside in new york without a jacket or a coat or whatever right I, I totally agree and i mean that's that's the other piece too it really does depend on the business context there are a lot of new products new businesses new business models out there especially if you think about kind of technology uh, and understanding product market fit or coming to market with a disruptive type of of, of product uh you're not going to have um you know the data to actually be able to make those decisions and so listening to customers, listening to feedback uh, from the market is, um, is important. But again, there's, there's part of that that's qualitative and part of that that's quantitative. If you know, we, we're trying to sell our product at $100 a unit uh, and nobody's buying it, well, that tells us, you know, hey, we have zero sales and our price is X. You know, we need to go back and think, think, think of something. And that's why you know, a lot of um, more mature data and analytics uh, practices include a pretty heavy user research component as well. So user research is very important. You know, they have much smaller sample sizes, but it's also very qualitative data. Uh, and then on the flip side, uh, we have quantitative data. And sometimes the qualitative helps us better understand the quantitative. So I guess the it seems like the person analyzing the data can do a lot of things with it. Mm, like you said, yeah. we're not getting sales at this price point. So they could come in and say, great, let's just start driving the price down until we start getting sure. sales. Now, <laughs> right. maybe the buy button was broken on their site and Absolutely. they're not getting sales because, so it's kind of also like what parts of data do you even have to make these decisions? It seems very dangerous. And this is where like the, the whole AI going wrong and killing everybody or ruining your business thing because the data sets it's programmed to use are incomplete or are, you know, like based on historically a period of time when you have cycles and it's only taking part yeah. of the cycle, or the industry is shifting and purely data-driven decisions uh, only looking at, hey, what happened before, so this. It's like, well, when things change, what happened before doesn't apply in the same. And that's, I guess, where the human element has to come in. And you have to have a manager, a, an executive, a somebody with the intelligence and the information to analyze this and understand it so you don't make these catastrophic data-driven decisions. Yeah, and, and you, you kind of bring up two really important issues that I want to quickly talk about, which is one, first off, data quality, trust in data, making sure that you... Um, you know, you understand that your data is complete. And, and the other piece is data silos. We have in a lot of businesses, you think about like a, a, a marketing team, for example, right? You might have some of your ad spend in, in AdWords, some of your ad spend in Facebook, some of your ad spend on whatever, you know, 
out of home or whatever it is, radio, TV. And so having all these disparate data sets, you have to have a way to create a, a holistic view across these different channels uh, in, the, in the marketing example. And the other thing you want to do is enable folks with the most domain expertise. In other words, the marketers in that example, you want them to be able to ask and answer their own questions, to be able to synthesize the data. They know the most about the campaigns they're running, the channels that they've been working in, as opposed to a centralized IT or analytics team. You know, we don't know as much about marketing as the marketers out there. So we can't anticipate all the things that they want to ask. We just don't have the context. So that's really the important piece is creating a holistic view of your data across all different types of data sets and enabling those domain experts to ask and answer their own questions because they have the most context. All right. So a, an analyst might look at the revenues from Google AdWords and say, wow, we're only getting half the revenues we used to. Right. Um, we should shift this or shift that. But the marketing person might say, excuse me, we actually are only spending 10% of the budget we used to. So right. we're getting multiple, but we know we've saturated this and this and this, so we don't need to. And we're so good at it now. We can actually get, yep. uh, you know, full results with, with a fraction of the budget. And this area over here was much more. So it's, exactly. again, the, the partial data machine, not being um, the expert in the area and trying to look at the stuff very dangerous. So can you give some, I mean, so the topic is why <laughs> you should be making data driven yeah. decisions. I keep seeing the word base type in front of me and I'm <laughs> like, what was that other word? Data driven decisions. But I really want to dig into, and we have been here like the, when not to the Berenstein bears version of data driven decisions. <laughs> can you give some examples on where data driven decisions go wrong? Like what should people be careful with stay away from when making these trying to use data for, for the decision making yeah so we talked a little bit about data quality but the other piece is almost what we call data literacy so understanding what the data means what it's telling us and and how it's defined because for example if i say hey uh you know sky what was revenue yesterday for our company you might have a slightly different viewpoint on what revenue means than I do. You might be in the accounting team and that's way different than what I would call for revenue. Of course, revenue does have a specific accounting definition, but being able to say, okay, here's what exactly we mean by revenue. Here's what we mean by customer in an order, like doesn't include tax, doesn't include shipping. Is it somebody who ever purchased 20 years ago? Is it somebody who purchased yesterday? So all these kind of nuances when you actually look at data, create a lot of confusion. And so I think what I see a lot of times is folks talking past each other when they're working with data and they're looking at the same report with the same numbers. And let's, let's assume we agree on those numbers for a second. We may not actually understand what, what the numbers are actually defined as and what they mean, therefore. So we're not able to then agree on a, a common framework to actually make decision, decisions from. And I suppose it could go as far as saying, oh, you scored you know, a 92 and this guy only scored a 50. That's right. great. And you're like, well, those are golf scores. So actually. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So like we, so you have to have the context. Yeah, you have to have the context. And you also have to understand, you know, uh, how, how each of those metrics and dimensions are defined. And this is actually a big problem that we see in companies that we work with at DOS 42 is that there's a gap between the business team and the technology team. The technology team, you know, they understand uh, the true databases, you know, the data flow, like how it all gets collected, how it gets stored and transformed, but they don't actually end up using the data for most analytics. That's typically the business team. And the business team, of course, they understand a lot about the business context, but they don't understand about the technology. And so that's really what we do at DOS42 is try to bridge that gap to understand first and foremost, what are the business problems? And then we start working backwards to start actually using technology to solve those problems. 
So you guys are a version of the guy in office space that takes the specs <laughs> yeah. from the customer and brings them to yeah. the. <laughs> but why can't the customer connecting these people? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> Take the specs right to the engineering because they don't have people skills. <laughs> Which is, it's somehow that's come up multiple times on this podcast. And, oh, I love uh, office space. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love that particular scene because it's so frequently yeah. misunderstood as, as well by yeah, by the totally. viewers. Um, and I found out on an episode here that that's a thing within IT circles, knowing that that scene is commonly misunderstood by non-IT people. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. I thought I'd recognize that. I didn't know that it was a common thing. They're like, yeah, that's like a meme for IT people. <laughs> Everybody else doesn't understand what's really happening in this scene and right. uh, thinks it's the opposite point. It's kind of like the people who, who love Scarface and think that he's a role model. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. True, true. <laughs> I think you guys thought very deep about the movie. Yeah, right. Yeah, he does die at the end. Spoiler alert, right? Yeah, he kind of like kills everybody he loves, yeah, right, gets yeah. everybody killed. And it turns out he's not a good guy. He's no, not no. a role model. He's not, you know, um, it's kind of like an explosion. It's cool to watch, but you don't right. want to be in it. No. Uh, anyway, so things to look out for when making database decisions. First things we covered that, that you mentioned here were just not having the experience, I guess, to analyze it, making sure everybody's on the same page, knows yep. what the number even stands for. Yes. And whether it's better if it's higher or lower. Right. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> the, the definition of the terms you're using that could be going all yep. over the place, which gets me to the, I mean, just the word data. Uh, I regularly rant on this. It's, it's a pronoun. <laughs> And people throw it around like it's all the same thing. Yeah. And to me, if you go into a conversation with somebody and you don't first establish what type of data you're talking about, then you're just talking gobbledygook. Like you have no, no it's, it's like having a whole conversation about yeah. this guy, but never saying who this guy is. It's like <laughs> I, I, I need the name in the beginning before you can start pronouncing yeah. the person. Um, so I know who we're talking about at all. Otherwise, the whole conversation is a bunch of he's and she's and they's, but you don't know who any of the characters are. Yeah. And you don't well, know when you're talking about the same person or a different person. And I think there's a lot of that in data. Yeah. And it's like I said, you know, there, there is like, you know, kind of experience is data, right. You know, if I, if I walk outside and I figure out what the, you know, sun rises in the morning kind of situation, you know, I, I can start to, you know, piece that together and say every morning I walk out at 6am and I can see the sunrise, right? Like, okay, right. that, that becomes, that becomes my experience and also, you know, some data over time. Right. So I understand the trend and that's really, you know, the human element. And I always view data and, you know, even in with the context of, um, you know, AI, you kind of mentioned that, you know, in the future robots taking over and stuff like that. But I, I kind of view it more as like AI will still augment human decisions, right. And, and people will be augmented, and be able to do more with AI. AI won't do everything. They'll still need humans for things. So that's that's kind of my, my take on that generally. Yeah, and that seems like one of the main areas when the data-driven decisions goes wrong is when you treat it so robotically. That's right. That with the impartial universe of what you know, um, you end up coming up with wildly inaccurate conclusions about yep. stuff. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Tell me if this is a thing within data analytics and stuff. When you have the number 150 versus the number 100. Yeah. One's 50% more, but the other's mm-hmm. 30% or 33% or whatever, less. Um, so when you're looking at the data, things can be interpreted in wildly different ways. And if people processing it don't know how to, you could also kind of pervert the data yeah. in a way over time by analyzing it up and then down. And then you don't even end up at the same, like, oh, let me add 50%. Let me take 50% away. We're not back at the same number. No. And uh, it seems like kind of where a firm like yours is important because you guys coming in would know that kind of a number or data crunching problem. Is there a word for that in your industry? Basically, I mean, is that a thing? Am I, I, I making mean, this up? <laughs> no, no. I mean, like what, what we, we, this is kind of all what I've been talking about is like, we, we put this under the umbrella of data governance, right? Which is, you know, there has some data cataloging. So I know what the data means, where to find it, uh, data quality. So I know that it's, uh, you know, trusted and complete and other things like that. It's, you know, uh, timely. Uh, and then there's the, this change management aspect where I know that if some change happens uh, to the data, uh, you know, somebody makes a change to a definition that it, that it gets sort of trusted and transparent and throughout the organization. So that's that's kind of the key. And, I, and again, like this is why I kind of started a consulting firm was to because I think the human element was was missing, like the 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 sort of experience and the human side of it was missing. There's great technology out there uh, these days with data and analytics, but it still takes somebody to put it all together to make it uh, make business value out of it and to make it make sense to to folks. So, so 150 is it? Uh, one third, are we having a one third difference or a 50% difference here? Or well, difference? you know, you, it depends on what your numerator is and what your denominator is, right? That's, that's the key. And so, you know, again, like thinking about it and saying, okay, well, were we at 150 and then we went to 100 or did we start at 100 and go to 150? And then you think about, you know, kind of the denominator and the numerator in that. And, and again, it, it, we have to know the business context for those things. If you just tell me 100, 150, like it's meaningless to your point earlier, right? It, 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 we're not going to have a productive discussion about what to do next. Right. So are, are we up 50% or were we 30% lower before? Pretty much. Um, right. Exactly. It's hard to, you have to have a directionality, right. I guess. Yeah, you, have, you have like a time dimension, right? So then you start to have this dimensionality where you have like, you know, today it's 100, yesterday it was 150. So we, we you know, you'd look at it on a line chart or, you know, you'd look at it in a table and it would be ordered by date and you can say, okay, we're moving from, you know, the first to the second or the second to the third uh, and not the other way around because we all know that time advances kind of thing. Right? So yeah, we're, you can't go back in time. We're always going forward. Don't right. try to reverse crunch the numbers and screw right. everything up. Right. Confuse the crap out of us. Um, right. Exactly. Which is, which is, which comes back to that data literacy aspect of understanding how things are defined. If, if you give me a, a growth rate, uh, a growth rate, uh, I need to define that to say it's today versus yesterday or today versus last year or right. this Tuesday versus last Tuesday or whatever it is, right? There's, there has to be this context and a definition specifically for it. I feel like I'm, I'm going to lean into statistics a little bit here, but that's, I think, part of what you guys do, it sounds like. It frustrates me when you also see things and I see it in the economy and stuff like that these days, but we get this this data, these numbers 
and you see things like um, the increase in in whether you're talking about crime, whether you're talking about unemployment, whether you're talking about um, uh, any of those kind of things. And we have this anomaly over the last couple of years with COVID. Mm-hmm. And so this seems this is more of a like sociopolitical thing, but I think maybe the same kind of issues come up in making data driven decisions um, where it's really easy to say, oh, you know, the job numbers increased. Um, you can have the largest percentage ever, or there's a big increase because there was a decrease before. And it's like, well, yeah. that's not really, um, it, it seems like it needs to be done against a long-term average or something like that, yeah. not against yesterday's <laughs> outcome where you can say, well, if I just really shit the bed yesterday, I can make myself look amazing today by doing a mediocre job. Right. Or if I did amazing yesterday, now I'm going to look shitty today. If I do an above average job still, Right. Like that's kind of ridiculous. That, that, that it seems like uh, is that just purely politically things being analyzed for those purposes or like what's going on there, man? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to ascribe motives to <laughs> sort of how people the government reports statistics, but I mean, to your point, this is this is a very good point around how folks can conceptualize and contextualize data, right? And, you know, if you actually do drill down into the government statistics, they they have very detailed documentation around like, hey, we include this, we don't include this. Like, I, you know, obviously uh, recently inflation is kind of a, a hot topic in the news. And so I saw some discussions online about inflation and you actually start to look at what they include, what they don't include. And, you know, then you can have opinions on whether you think that that's appropriate to include or exclude certain items from, you know, inflation, right. for example, but at least they have it documented. And, you know, to your point before, you know, a lot of the, the data visualizations in the news, uh, you look at, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, big, big news outlets, typically they do show you like the trend, right? They say, okay, here was pre-COVID and we're, we're actually now comparing, you know, jobs to pre-COVID levels or whatever it is. And, and, and like stocks too, right? You look at, you know, you watch CNBC, right. they, they're always like, you know, what's the hundred day moving average, 200 day moving average. And like, where is that in relation to where the stock is today? Because if I tell you, Hey, the stock's worth a hundred dollars today. You're like, I don't know if that's good or bad. Right. Like, right. I, I need context. <laughs> yeah. Right. I need the additional context. And that's really what we're talking about here. And so I think there's, there is, there is this aspect of what we call storytelling with data, which I think is kind of underrated, but you know, being able to provide enough context and to draw conclusions from it and to, you know, also allow folks to um, make their own conclusions from data as well, because because we're all going to interpret things slightly differently. But, you know, a lot of times, I, and I think to your point, you know, about uh, some of the, the job metrics and things, you know, they are politically sensitive. Folks do want it to be good, right? And so they're going to tell a certain story with the data, right? I mean, some people want it good. And to make this applicable to the listeners, I mean, forget about that, about the, the, U.S. politics and stuff, office politics. Yeah, you get people. You're trying to make data-driven decisions, yeah. but you get people who are messing with things. Something that meant something yeah. last. You know, people say, "Hey, uh, lead conversions. We're going to look at." Well, the marketers decided that something's not going to count as a lead until yeah. it's been market verified. So now all your statistics are blown away because before anything that got filled out in a form was counted as a lead. Yeah. Um, but now they're cleaning the stuff out. So it looks like they're doing a way better job. They're actually doing a little worse job with lead generation, um, but they're pre-filled throwing out certain stuff. Um, so it looks like conversion rates are way higher. Lead quality is way higher. And it's, it's, you know, it's like 
That's why you don't change much in baseball ever. Cause you don't want to ruin the stats. You have to be able to compare <laughs> right. people in different eras and stuff like that. Um, it happens internally, but you have internal politics. People do things for a reason that can screw up the data you're trying to make decisions on as well. Yeah. Well, in, in this, you know, let, let's for a second, give, give folks the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, maybe that was the right decision to make was like, whatever, like we're going to give, give them the benefit of the doubt. This comes back to my idea around trust and transparency and train change management, right? You have to be able to say, Hey guys, we're going to change the lead uh, definition of a lead to be not just somebody who fills out a form anymore. We're going to say it has to be whatever qualified to a certain level. Now form plus qualification, we're going to change that. Here's why we're going to change it because it's important for our business. And, you know, we have to now convince folks to do it. Um, and now we need to make sure that that lead number is updated in all the other reports so that we can compare it. And we can say, you know, if we actually go back and sort of adjust our lead score for last year, uh, you know, we we're going to get a different number. And so now we can actually kind of compare where we're at this year versus last year. Uh, so right. anyway, that, that, that trust, that transparency, the change management aspect, and, and, you know, it's really an organizational problem it has nothing to do with technology, right? A lot of folks think that, right. oh yeah, I can solve that with technology really easily. No, nah, it's, it's a process and organizational uh, and situation. I would say either a, a employee, um, skill problem or office politics problem because yeah. either the person doing that wasn't good enough at their job to know they need to let everybody, everybody know something foundational yeah. that these decisions being made on has changed Yeah. or office politics. They don't want people to know because they're trying to make something they're doing look better or something somebody else is doing look worse than it yeah. actually is. And there's a ton of that, especially when you get into the size of companies that want to do, I mean, most companies are small and they don't do a lot of data analysis. It's yeah, all right. like I've gathered by accident, little bits of data over time. And I just make decisions on the fly based on that. Yeah, and if, pretty much. if they're really good at that, they'll do well. And if they're not, they fail. Right. Um, so we're kind of talking about larger companies most of the time with this data analysis. Would that be accurate? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd say that to your point, uh, spreadsheets and, you know, Google analytics and some of the basics worked up into, you know, a hundred, couple hundred people, a company, and then basically beyond that, you know, it becomes difficult for everyone to have the automatically shared context. Right. And so now you have to have programs in place to start to document definitions and, you know, you know, all that stuff that we've been talking about. And the majority of companies are 10 employees or less. So now we're really talking like, oh, okay, go with your gut's not the right word. I know we had a past guest that would crucify me if I said, go with your gut, but go with your gut, which has been trained over years of collecting right. data and analyzing it. Um, <laughs> That's right. So those, that majority of company, this kind of data analysis really just kind of not in their, the scope of their work. They don't need to worry about it. And I think it seems one of the things you brought up earlier, if, if all these very small companies um, were to try to make data-based decisions, they'd spend a lot of time collecting the small amounts of data that were available to them even, mm -hmm. trying to crunch it so they could feel like they were doing the best practices and come up with probably the wrong decisions or something they'd have to ignore because there's just not enough information there um, well, and the other in the thing size I'll of their company. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've worked for 10 person companies and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And like nine times out of 10, you probably have something more pressing to do like a fire to put out or, right. you know, a product to develop or something else. So you have to move very, very quickly. And at that point you're, you're really prioritizing, I think speed versus accuracy and those kind of things. And to your point, maybe you just don't even have the data. Maybe you have it, but you know, there are other important things to focus on. Right. And it's a lot of the data is few and far between 
Yes. And so it really doesn't give you any valuable context. Things change so fast in companies that size. So I'd say probably a lot of our listeners are in small companies. And uh, don't worry if you're not doing massive amounts of data crunching to analyze this stuff. Maybe this is good to know about, but uh, don't feel like you're a marketing fraud and uh, you need to change everything, spend a bunch of time on it, and then get the wrong conclusions and have to throw them out anyway. This is kind of um, medium to large size companies well, more applicable, and, and I'll and I'll make folks <laughs> out there feel feel a little bit better. Nobody has this stuff figured out, right? Like no, like it's very very few and far between that we see a company. I mean, it's it's much harder even in larger companies to like manage these type of programs and to really you know institute you know a data driven culture because of all the challenges that they have. And and you know you think about it as well. Most most smaller companies. They're just more agile. They're much more, you know, tech forward or modern. A lot of a lot of the companies are, I think, newer and, and born in the cloud. Whereas, you know, if you go to a big company that, that we work with, a lot of those folks have legacy systems and you know, just a lot of tech debt, entropy, et cetera. And and that's that's very difficult to untangle all that. So I'll say no one out there is doing it like super, super well. There's very few at least. Let's put it that way. And I'd I'd point out the going all the way back to the movie Moneyball and mm. and the analytics stuff there. I think there's a reason that happened in baseball and not in a sport, another popular sport, even like, like football, there's so many less variables mm-hmm. and you have so much, so many stats. Cause you have so many more games in a game like football where there's so few games over a season. Yeah. It's much less likely that you have relevant enough stats where there aren't these variables that can throw things off. There's just so many other variables, so many moving pieces at any given time on the field the data is just not nearly as valuable. Um, baseball is just this fixed thing where people are literally fixed for most of the time sitting there right. and knowing exactly what to do on any play at any given time and in any scenario. Um, there's just not a lot of moving pieces, but there's a ton of stats and it can be really accurate. Um, so you're able to apply that kind of thing pretty effectively there. You don't have a lot of game theory. You don't have a lot of kind of um, um, human adjustments happening. Whereas in something like football, you have a coach on the other side who's, you know, it's the scene from um, princess bride where you have the guy sitting there saying, Oh, but I know you're thinking this. So I'm thinking that. So you're thinking, so I'm going to do this and then that, and this it's just like a, this yes or no type type question. Some sports, there's a lot of that a sport like baseball. There's not. So you can really go with the uh, data driven decisions there. I see sometimes, um, you know, in a sport like football, they say, oh, this is what the numbers are telling them to do in this case, because percentage wise, when this, then this, and I look right. at it and say, yeah, but something feels off about it. And why? Well, probably the reason when teams go for it in this situation and get it is because it's a different scenario. Like you guys suck. That's why you're in this situation. You're not going to complete it as much as the average team. So well, for uh, you, the numbers yeah. are very different. You're just having to take everybody's numbers and put them together. Cause you don't have enough of your own stats and you're on a backup quarterback and he's got, <laughs> you know, one leg, he's not going to sneak it for three yards. And- hey, well, it comes back to context and, and, you know, yeah. like you, you've, you've seen all the um, you've seen all the stats now that they, they are trying to put it into football and it's, it's interesting, but to your point, I think there's so much randomness, there's so much athleticism and other things like that that come into play. That you know, if you put time Tom Brady, you know, in at quarterback versus some you know third string quarterback, you know, the, the yeah. stats are, are just different, right? But I think that's well, that's and the analytics say you run it up the middle on fourth and one here, 
But the problem is the other team's coach and is the game theory part knows the analytics say that, and they know you're going for it. So now they're going to stack everybody in the middle and you're going to say, Oh, so maybe we get princess bride again. So maybe we should actually do a sweep (laughs) or a pass play. Let's throw it deep because they're just going to leave the wide receiver wide open. But what if he knows you're going to do that? So now they're going to do this and not cover the middle. And then they say, okay, yeah, the analytics don't really work because you have this human element here. That's adjusting to what they think you're going to do based on those things. So when you get the coaches who just go by the numbers, like, congratulations, you made yourself so predictable, you know, exactly (laughs) what you're going to do. You know, in baseball, if it just said, oh, the guy strikes out on this pitch, this percentage of the time. So you knew with two strikes, the pitcher was always going to give you that pitch doesn't work anymore. Right. Uh, You know, (laughs) the same thing happens in marketing. If you do what worked yesterday, and everybody else does what works at yesterday. It doesn't work because everybody's doing it now. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think getting back to the, uh, try to go off on a tangent there, but the, some of the problems with purely data-driven decisions, you have to account in the human element. Well, and I think the other thing too, is like you kind of mentioned, um, you know, just the, the ability to separate the signal from the noise with data too, right? Because especially if you talk about large companies that we work with at DOS42, there's so many different data points that they have available to them. Um, but focusing on what matters is actually very, very difficult, right? So it's like you could throw everything into a report or excuse me, a dashboard, uh, you know, or a, a data science model or whatever you want to have. And it doesn't necessarily give you any more signal. It's it's all kind of noise. And so you have to be understanding, like, again, the business context to say, hey, our goal is to whatever, increase uh, lead gen this quarter or to convert more leads or whatever it is, right? And then now we have to identify, hey, what are the metrics that matter here? And let's identify those and focus on those uh, as opposed to, you know, putting every number under the sun on a dashboard on a screen. That's, that's not going to be helpful. And it's not going to help people make decisions better. Well, and it seems to go full data-driven is really to say AI analyzes it. Yep, um, and that's where the human part is great because the human part can know when, you know, if AI goes full data-driven, when you first start inserting the data, it's going to be massively wrong. If mm-hmm. they had every bit of relevant data in the universe, then AI could ran like a machine learning could get come to the right conclusion, the right decision on stuff but your data set is always limited. So the human element seems incredibly important for all companies, regardless of how much data you even have of saying, Hey, I know this is limited. And then I like, I know that some, there's a change coming here in the future. Like we can see the future as humans. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that, (laughs) I mean, well, you said it right there where it's like, you know, humans are still putting the data into the model and deciding what data goes into it. So it's like the weather example before it's like, if you just, you know, put a machine learning model for only, you know, January or June, you know, you're going to get a much different result. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you put, you know, for example, this is talking about ethics and AI and machine learning, you know, it's a hot topic these days. You know, if you only put data into a machine learning model from a certain demographic, or if you don't understand mm-hmm. that, Hey, actually certain demographics are underrepresented in the data set that I do have for whatever reason, which are, you know, have nothing to do with the outcome or more societal or, you know, political type type things, then the AI model is going to be going to be biased. And, you know, that's where people get nervous because we're removing the human element. And, and in fact, we're actually, uh, you know, you could almost reframe it the other way. You're, you're inputting too much of the current, you know, human biases into the model. Of course, the model is going to be biased if the data we put in is biased. Right. If it's based all off of faces that look like mine and no faces yeah. that look like yours, 
the AI is going to not think you're human because you have a beard and I don't. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's something silly like that. Right. But it's mm-hmm. like you can see kind of, you know, it, it's sort of a reductive uh, kind of you know, piece of logic. But it, of course, it makes total sense. Right. That it, that that, you know, the, the models are just going to represent the data that we put in there. And that's and deciding how to put the data into the model and, and what to put into the model is going to affect the outcome. Excellent. Well, if nobody if we haven't caught on yet. Um, we're not going to take a break in this episode. It happens. We just get into the flow of talking and there's not time. We get way past the breaking point. Maybe we'll have one shoehorned in back there somewhere and you'll say that was a weird break. Well, that's why. So I want to move into the, the post-break discussions here. And cool. uh, Nick, I'd like to, um, I haven't said your name enough for the guests to hear it. Nick, probably because I'm afraid of your last name. Amable. <laughs> Amabile, yep. Amabile, yeah. <laughs> so Nick, Nick Amabile, um, let's jump uh, over to you. And uh, I want to talk a little about you, where you came from, how you got to where you're at, uh, you know, CEO of a data analytics company. Um, so, you know, start wherever you want to in your, yeah. in your story, but let us know who you are a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I think I'll rewind back to, to college. I went to school for economics and, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I, I think uh, you know, now working in data analytics for a very long time, a lot of folks come from social science backgrounds, traditional engineering backgrounds. I actually don't see a lot of people coming with computer science backgrounds into the data analytics world because, you know, you do have to have that that sort of uh, dual sides of the coin, the business and the technology aspect. But I went to school for economics and, you know, uh, got my first job at an uh, economics consulting firm doing econometric analysis for antitrust litigation. So now, correct me if I'm wrong, but economics, I always think money. I think economics, yeah. of course, but it, it's really kind of the analysis of data. It doesn't exactly. apply to not to non-monetary things as well. It's just money uh, is where there's a lot of numbers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it also has to do with, you know, we're talking about game theory, you know, I took some game theory classes and it's all about like understanding like statistics, probability, um, you know, you think about regressions, right? You think about machine learning these days, like most of it's like, you know, based on, you know, pretty simple regressions and things like that. So all the statistics that I learned really did prepare me well for, for a career in data analytics. Um, and, you know, actually one of the cool things uh, that, I, that I learned was uh, statistical programming. So, you know, writing like SAS and Stata for those folks that, that kind of remember that stuff, um, that really, you know, interests me a lot because I was able to actually kind of apply what I had learned in statistics and probability and all my economics courses to actual data problems. And, you know, at the time we were mostly working with like, you know, census data and stuff like that to, to run different models on, on census data. But I really took to the technical aspect. And so that was really kind of where I got my career started. And, you know, after leaving the consulting firm, uh, the economics consulting firm that I was doing antitrust litigation in, um, went to work at a number of different startups, uh, you know, always in a quantitative type of role, um, supporting marketing, supporting uh, you know, finance, uh, all these different product analytics, right? All these different types of things like A-B testing, for example, right? You apply your statistics background to, to A-B testing and, and product analytics, um, and so that was really how I got my start. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because at one of the companies I worked at, I didn't know SQL, uh, which for a lot of the folks that don't know, that, that's, that's a programming language that you use to interact with databases, which is really kind of the lingua franca of, of data analytics. And I didn't know how to do this, but I would have to go to a DBA and ask them for a report. And, you know, he would be kind of grumpy and be like, oh, I got a million things to do, so I can't give you this report. Uh, and then I would go take the report. Eventually, when he gave it to me, I'd take it to the CEO and say, here's the report. And the CEO would start asking me all kinds of questions like, well, what does this mean? What does this number? Like, how do you define this? Does it include this or does it exclude that? 
And I was like, I don't know. I didn't write the thing. You know, I didn't write the report. All I did was ask the other guy for the report. <laughs> and so I realized that, you know, again, there's this gap that I was in and I was kind of like in no man's land because I wasn't the person with the technical chops to actually create the reports. And I wasn't necessarily the CEO coming up with all these questions. So you were literally that. taking the specs from the customer it's, and giving that's them the developer. what I'm talking about. Without exactly. interp- you weren't like taking them yeah. and, and making them legible no. to you were just handing oh, physically, off physically yeah i was like physically taking does the make the job kind of worthless <laughs> yeah exactly and so i was like i was like this is no good right like i can't i can't have a career doing this and so um i started teaching myself sql and different programming languages i, I was like you know this dba has got a million other things to do for his job right his job is not to give me reports and do analytics that's my job so you know i really started teaching myself different programming languages and, and just you know basically never looked back so it seems another good analogy maybe is a, a, a translator that only speaks one language and really just plays a game of telephone, just says the yeah. same thing yeah. to the person so they don't speak to each other. It's like, well, you're yeah. not really a translator. You don't have much value then, do you? You, you need exactly. to actually translate the information so it can be received on the other side. Yeah. And so, you know, so that that's exactly what I what I started to do is teach myself a lot of the technical skills and you know, worked in uh, financial planning and analysis for a while, worked in kind of operations, got my feet wet in a lot of different areas of business. Uh, and then most recently, I was the head of business intelligence at jet.com. And prior to that, was at Etsy in New York in senior analytics roles, uh, and learned a ton at both of those jobs. And as I was kind of nearing the end of my time at jet.com, um, you know, I went to interview at a bunch of companies here in the New York City area, and they all wanted me to set up their data warehouse and to set up the reporting so that it would all be standardized. And I was like, well, I've been doing this for a long time. I just did this at Jet. I did this at Etsy. I had this other companies prior to that. I was like, there must be something here. If everyone has this problem that they're asking me to solve and I've already been solving it for a long time, you know, there must be something that I can do to, to really focus on that problem and get good at it. And um, that's what I did. I hung up my own shingle and uh, our first customer was some small startup here in New York. Our second customer is Amazon. And, you know, we were off to the races from there. That's a decent second customer, I guess. <laughs> so the people get thrown off when talking to you or when you, you would show up for a job interview, let's say early on yeah. one of these jobs, and you look more like a foreman on a construction site than a data <laughs> analytics type of guy. I, like, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a generous interpretation of how I look, but thank you, <laughs> <laughs> Um, But it seems like, I mean, you do some profiling, people come in for an interview and you're like, this guy just doesn't look like a data analyst. I'm going to hire the guy that looks like Milton from The Simpsons. Milton, the character from The Simpsons, not yeah, the guy right. who looks like, you know, he's a, a foreman somewhere working on a yeah. steel mill. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, like, you know, I think when, when you start to, uh, you know, kind of get really deep into the field, you realize that the problems are so common across these different companies. And that was really the insight that I had. I happened to be at the right place at the right time as, as sort of I started out um, with a number of our technology partners um, like Looker and then Snowflake and then Google Cloud and others that, you know, they were really supportive of our, of our business initially and gave us a lot of our initial customers and I, the relationships that I had prior to, to starting the consulting firm when I was at Etsy and Jet, for example, I was a customer of Lookers, got to know a lot of folks there. And then when I started out on my own, of course, uh, you know, as, as many folks who have done this before, the sort of um, it's a chicken and the egg problem, right? You know, if you don't have any customers, it's really difficult to get customers. And once you get a couple of customers, it starts to snowball a little bit. And we were able to kind of break that chicken and egg cycle through our through our technology partners, which we still work with very closely today. Excellent. So you have very small 
company as your first client, very big company as your second client. It seems to me when you're crunching data, um, a, is a big company easier because they have more data? Like you have all MLB data or <laughs> you have the data from one intramural basketball game. Who are you going to give better results to? Um, is, is it easier to work and solve the problems for a larger company? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's easier per se. They're very different challenges. And I think I alluded to this before because bigger companies, they have, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not a technical challenge. It's more of a sort of people process organizational type challenge where you have such a diverse set of stakeholders in larger companies. And, um, you know, you have to really work cross-functionally and understand how to get things done, which can be difficult in large companies, whereas smaller companies, you know, it's great to work for small clients a lot of times because you know you come in you're like you're like hey uh you know can you fix this and we're like yeah we can fix this and then we go away we fix it and knock <laughs> knock it out of the park right like and then bigger companies the stakes are higher the you know complexity is higher again not from a technical perspective so um you know and and really that that was that was how we were able to make that transition from smaller companies to to larger companies was because of the fact that it is so similar right like i had worked in e-commerce for a long time and coming to work at, at Amazon as a consultant was, was not way outside of my realm of, of what I understood. It's still, you know, kind of orders, shipments, inventory, customers, it's like all the basics, right? So, um, you know, we, we, I had a really good sort of background to then uh, foundation to go in and, and execute successfully there. So that was, uh, that was good. So you end up at, at DOS 42, you end up solving different problems in a way because the size of the company dictates what the problem is. Yeah. It, it, it seems like it's not just a matter of, how much, how much data they have for you to provide. It's right. And, and I'd say that the thing, the lesson that I've really learned over the years is how to be a better consultant, right? Cause I, I, I I'm a data analytics practitioner. I've been doing that for a long time and that's what I'm passionate about. And I love helping customers solve problems with data and analytics, but you know, becoming the consultant where you can manage expectations and timelines and budgets and communication and stakeholders and all this stuff that that was a learning curve for us. Um, you know, we were able to kind of get it up, you know, get up that learning curve relatively quickly. And now, you know, I'd say we're, we're quite good at it. But, you know, again, nobody ever said, hey, you know, DOS 42, Nick, you guys don't know how to program or you don't know how to do data analytics. It's all just like, oh, you just worked on the wrong thing right? Right. <laughs> for the last three months. And so like understanding Which again, that that's is, the human part. You have yeah, to absolutely. know what to work on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's why at the end of the day, we consider ourselves a business consulting firm, not an IT consulting firm, because we're trying to solve business problems. And so like, literally the first question I ask when I come into a company, a new, a new, a new client is, tell me how you make money. You know, it's like, mm. that's, that's just so simple because I, so many people skip that part. And so many people assume that, Hey, if it's Amazon, right. You might ask, Hey, uh, Oh, I obviously know how they make money. Right. I must know how they make money, but maybe you probably don't. There's a lot of nuances to it. There's a lot of different ways that they think about their business that probably are new to you. Uh, and you know, you can't really assume anything. And so you come in with the Blake slate and then you start with the business questions. Like, tell me what's important to you. How do you make money? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So have you ever, DOS 42, have you guys ever been called in to, to a job 
or to consider a job and looked at it and said, oh, you don't need us. Like, in fact, you don't need to be analyzing data. You, you need to be just, I mean, it seems like it would be a, you're too small for this to even be practical. Has someone tried to bring you in before and, and, and there wasn't really something that you were the solution for? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we kind of talked about smaller companies and when we first got started out, uh, you know, probably spoke to every small startup here in New York, like, you know, two person companies, five person companies, 10 person companies, even 50, 60 person companies. They all know that they need data analytics at some point. And, you know, especially given kind of the, the media like hype and stuff like that, or just the buzzwords that are out there, folks are familiar with the concepts. And they're like, yeah, we want, we want to work with you. you seem like smart person and really can really help help us do this but then as i said before it's like well you know you guys should probably focus on other things you should be focusing on developing your product and going to market and finding product market fit and all that kind of startup stuff that you, you want to go do data and analytics is important but it's not the end all be all so as you get up the maturity curve then you might need you know our services um, and certainly we're not the right fit for everybody. I mean, that's the other piece too, is like we focus pretty specifically on a certain set of technologies and a certain methodology. We're quite opinionated around how we do these things. So, you know, I like time. that as a company description. <laughs> we're quite opinionated, by the way. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we're quite exactly. opinionated. <laughs> I mean, we're always, you know, trying to develop and challenge our thinking on things. But right. like at the same time, you know, we want to make sure that if we come, come into work with a customer, we're going to knock it out of the park for them. They're going to be super happy and successful. Um, you know, and our prices reflect that to be fair, but like at the same time, you know, we're not the best fit for everybody. And so even in a couple of cases, there, there have been bigger companies that um, have said, Hey, we have this problem. And I'm like, you, you don't need us. You can actually just, uh, you know, you can handle this internally and I'll give them some advice right. or some free consulting. And, you know, that'll, that'll kind of open the gates for them. But um, when you say you're opinionated, is it like, do you have a little litmus test you give people like GIF or GIF? And if they get it wrong, like, sorry. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, we have to go into a company and they have to be using Macs and not PCs. No, I'm just kidding. You're like, a PC actually, house. Yeah, no, no, no. But, you know, but it's, it's, you know, I think it's more around kind of the methodology around how we do things with, with kind of modern cloud-based technology, you know, like I talked about data governance and that's a big piece of it as well. So having a much more holistic approach. So a lot of times companies will call us up and they'll say, Hey, I need you to set up our data warehouse. Um, and the first thing I'll ask is why, right? Like, what are you trying to do, right? So if, if people want purely technical IT services, right? Like, that's not us. We're going to come in and we're going to ask a lot more questions. We're going to want to understand the context and really, you know, shape the solution uh, the way that we think it needs to be shaped rather than saying, hey, here's the specs, go implement the specs, right? <laughs> it's kind of like a steakhouse is not going to cater a vegan wedding. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. There's right. certain so, situations where you're like, that's not our yeah, not what we that, do. That's the kind of problem we solve, but not the problem we solve. Yeah, right. Exactly. We'll cater a wedding, just not a vegan one. <laughs> okay. Excellent. So uh DAS 42. Yeah. What does that mean? Where does it come from? Yeah, yeah I get that question a lot. So DAS stands for the uh for, stands for data analytics services, which is the original corporate name of the company. You had uh, 41 failures before this one, right? Yeah, right, exactly. We came through 41 <laughs> different names and then found this one. Uh no, 42. Wow, that is... was very creative. We're like, Let's, what about DAS 2? No, yeah, that's no, not good. Three, DOS no. Three. And once eventually you got to 42, you said, Yes, that's it. <laughs> well, 42 is the answer to life, the meaning of life, the universe, and everything from ah. the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah. <laughs> but <laughs> so that's, that's a little inside, you know, joke to, to sort of programmers and geeks and stuff like that. But uh, really what it comes down to in the consulting firm 
Uh, and if you, for those uh, of you guys who are familiar with the story, uh, this sort of refrain is, you know, you can't understand the answer if you don't understand the question. And so that's really what we help people do at DOS42 is help them frame their questions correctly of their data, of their business, so that they can actually, you know, answer and understand the answer, right? All right. So 42, you put out there as a joke from Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But when you combine that with data analytics, suddenly that gets a lot deeper. Yeah, exactly. I think and that's exactly right. what we're so that's a much craftier name than maybe the listeners initially <laughs> gave you like, oh, he likes this movie. Like, no, no, no. Well, what does 42 mean? What is the value exactly. of that? How is that the yes. like you have to understand uh, that that's a really much deeper company name than I think even <laughs> after your explanation, people will give you credit for. Well, it's also Jackie Robinson's number and it's also mm. easy.com to remember. So DOS42.com is just available. You know, you got to have the .com. So. I'm going to be like, well, DOS40, but it was taken. DOS41 yeah. taken. DOS42, this is the- Available. It's really an email on the first 41 were taken. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I love the philosophical nature of the uh, meaning, the, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide, to the Galaxy <laughs> 42 and kind of what, what that does when thinking about data analytics yep. um, and now suddenly you say, okay, well now what is that number? What's the context here for 42 right. being the answer to what? It's, it's the, that's it's great. The, man. That's great. It's the, it's the entire show that we've spent talking about, right? Like yeah. It's really understanding the question before you can understand the answer. You have to have the context. You have to understand the broader goals. Uh, and, and that's, that's what we do. And everyone who listens knows we don't really prep on this show. That wasn't planned. I just stumbled uh, onto that wondering what it was uh, about. And, and Nick ha happened to actually have a, uh, a, a really good reason for the name that kind of encapsulates the, yeah. the show well. So uh, all credit to you there, Nick. Um, anything we haven't covered yet with this, this data-driven decisions uh, we're gonna start a crusade man anybody who says data-based now is immediately <laughs> like when you say you're opinionated that should be one of the things like wow. i'm sorry did you just say data-based decisions we can't work with you right exactly. it's driven <laughs> it's driven get it right come back later no i mean i really enjoyed the conversation i don't i think we've covered a lot of ground and uh you know i think at the end of the day that's you know kind of sums it up nicely you got to understand the uh, question to understand the answer and and that's really what we do that's why we're a consulting firm and there's great computers out there we're, we're great humans <laughs> so that's that's what we do is piece it all together so should you really be making data-driven decisions the answer is maybe Yes, that's sometimes. Right. <laughs> sometimes it depends. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, well, that that's that's the consulting answer. Like every time yeah. anyone asks you something, it's consulting. It's like, well, it depends. What are you trying to do, right? <laughs> so. Maybe, and that is the same as what happens when you make those decisions too. You crunch yeah. all the data, and sometimes you probably end up with not a yes or a no on yeah. something, but a maybe or a couldn't really use the data in this instance. <laughs> actually, so go with your gut. Life is full of gray areas, right? There's no yeah. black and white answers to things. <laughs> and luckily for the people executing those decisions, that makes them still employable. Yeah, that's right. I don't think humans are going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> well, con congratulations. Don't go purely off the data or you are out of a job and they just have a <laughs> spreadsheet or Nick here will write an equation that will take over there for you. you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Fantastic having you on, Nick. Um, where can people uh, find you? Where can they find uh, DOS42? 
just DOS42.com and Nick at DOS42.com to just reach me directly and uh, always happy to chat and talk about, you know, people's data problems. I'll do you a favor and not put that email directly into the show notes. There you go. Just um, leave it on. You got to leave it as a teaser. <laughs> yep. But uh, probably also a LinkedIn. Are you uh, active there? Yeah. Just uh, Nick Amobile um, is Namobile and Amobile on my LinkedIn. So you, people can definitely find me there and we're posting up uh, new content uh, on DOS42's LinkedIn page, you know, white papers, thought leadership content, all kinds of good tips and tricks around data. So find us out there. Fantastic. Um, and you can find more on this episode and on Nick and uh, on DOS42 on the ifyoumarket.com website. Check the show notes uh, there for a little longer information on, on Nick. We try to keep it short here on the show. And uh, thank you for, um, you know, for helping us out, spreading the good word about the show. And uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Nick Amabile of DOS42, thanks for listening to the If You Market podcast where we believe if you market the shit out of it with uh, data to back up your decisions, they will come. <laughs> Thanks, guy. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.